welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. If you have a Bible, let's get on to more spiritual things. Let's look at Mark. Mark chapter 1, we'll be on verse 32. We're walking verse by verse through the gospel of Mark and um, just seeing what the Lord would say to us um, and what he would have for us in this this awesome book. And I I don't know how long we're going to be in um, the gospel of Mark, but so far we're we're making some some progress. Uh, So we're on verse 32. And it says, at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. I like that. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So I just want to stop right there. I think this is where we're going to camp out today. Um, We've already seen in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus do some incredible things. And now this is the next sort of uh, major moment. Remember, the house that they're in is Simon Peter's house, Simon and Andrew's house. Jesus is there because he just uh, healed Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. And prior to that, Jesus was in the... the I, want to, I always want to say tabernacle. It's, not, it's a synagogue. So it was in, the, which is kind of a local tabernacle, I guess. A synagogue would be a local Jewish place of worship where uh, the, the, the citizens of Capernaum, which is the city where, G, where um, Simon Peter was from and Andrew and James and John were all from Capernaum. And so they had a local synagogue and that local synagogue is where they would gather on the Sabbath. And they would hear teachings. And um, Jesus began teaching and he astounded everybody uh, with his teaching because he taught with authority. So he had authority over the word of God because he is the word of God. And then he took authority over the demonic spirits that were at church, (laughs) which is always a good thing. Whenever you get rid of the demons in church, you got to start there. So anyway, so he deals with demonic oppression of of Christian people, you know, like real religious um, people that were coming to hear the word of God. He deals with that. And and people are shocked by this. This is all shocking for them. They haven't quite made up their mind about Jesus. Then Jesus leaves the synagogue and he goes to Peter, Simon, Peter's house, and he heals his mother-in-law. Now, it says in our next verses, if we can go back to verse 32, and I'm just going to camp out on these two verses, really, 32, 33, and 34. It says, at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick. So that's, that's important because remember, this was the, the Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to travel very far. You certainly weren't allowed to carry anybody. You weren't allowed to do a lot of those things. In fact, you weren't even allowed to pull, like uh, in uh, the modern Sabbath, you're not allowed to pull your, your chair out of your, from your table. Because the scraping of the chair along the floor is similar to the, 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 the plowing of a field, is what the rabbis say. So you're not allowed to do that. You're not, in fact, if you go to, to Jerusalem, even now, they have special, within the elevator, they have special um, buttons for the elevator to push on the Sabbath. Because you don't want to push a regular button because that charges electricity, which is kind of like work. 
right? And so they're trying to avoid all forms of work. It's amazing to me how your religious ideologies can get in the way of your healing, can get in the way of your deliverance. They had to wait till the sun went down. Jesus is there all day. He's available. He, he's healing during the Sabbath, which this is pretty revolutionary. You'll see later on in the Gospels. But like Jesus is available. He's ready. But the people are not in the right mindset to receive from him until it fits within their box. And man, that's still happening today. God is just as powerful. He's just as able to save. He's just as good as he's ever been. He's just as loving. <clears throat> but many times our, our mindset, our boxes have sort of boxed him out. And it's like, well, he can't do that until I do this. And he can't do that until we do that. And it's not true. The truth is Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's able to do more than you can ask or imagine according to the power that's at work inside of us. And, 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 it, and it's just fascinating to me how it, like they had to wait. They had to wait till it worked within their mindset. So they wait till the sun goes down. They wait until it gets dark outside. So it's dark and they bring to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed. And I love this next part. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. <laughs> The whole city was gathered together at the door. Look, when Jesus is in the house, the city comes to the door. The whole city. I had, I had, I had a, a, probably a well-intentioned lady on Facebook who I don't know messaged me like a few weeks ago. And I, it, it went into that special little folder of people you don't know messages. I don't know about that. So I'm getting kind of old. I never checked that, that folder. Like, I don't know you. Why would I read? But anyway, so finally, weeks later, I ended up reading her message. And she's, I think it's just a message that she's sending out to various local pastors in the area. And, and she, said, uh, she said, Pastor, people aren't coming to your church anymore. Okay. And so she said, people aren't coming to your church anymore. You have to go out to where they are. You have to leave the building and go out to where the people are. And, and to some extent, I totally agree with her that we need to reach out. We need to go out. That's why we're like giving away 220 backpacks a few weeks ago, right? Because we want to reach out to our community. That's why apartment life is a good thing. We want to step outside of these doors and, and, and go out to where people are. Absolutely. But not because there's some perceived problem with the church. It's like, oh, people won't come to you. Well, that's not why Jesus says to go to them. Jesus says to go out and make disciples of all creatures. So that happens on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. It also happens on Wednesday night, Bible study here at 6.30 in the evening. It also happens out on the street. It also happens in Walmart. It also happens at HEB, right? So these, these, this, 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 this disciple-making thing is supposed to happen everywhere. But what happens is when, sometimes I feel like, you know, if people aren't coming to the door, then maybe Jesus isn't in the house. Maybe you need to look around in the house and say, say, like, do we have religion or do we have an actual relationship with Jesus? And by religion, I mean, are we working through rituals? Are we making sure to feel better on a Sunday by doing our, our duty to God? Or are we pursuing the actual presence of Jesus? Because the actual presence, uh, Leonard Ravenhill said, you don't have to advertise a fire. <laughs> Leonard Ravenhill said, meaning, meaning that when God shows up, you don't have to pay as much money in Facebook ads. You don't need to pay Google as much to get the word out. You don't need to try to trick people to come to church. Like literally 
people realize that the presence of Jesus is here. So Jesus is the embodiment of love. And so when love is in the, that's what Toby Mac used to sing. When love is in the house, the house is packed. So much so I left the back door cracked. Mama always said that I wish I was black. And when love is in the house. Yeah, this is back 20 years ago. He could say that. But in defense of Toby, I think he actually did wish he was black. I'm just saying. I, like, I don't think that was just a lyric. I think he, he would be able to sing better. Toby Mac would be able to sing better. He had a little soul to him. But anyway, like, when love is in the house, the house is bad. When Jesus is in the house, like, when, when, when Jesus is in the church, you have love in the church. You have hope in the church. You have forgiveness in the church you have deliverance in the church and so when Jesus is in so that's why our main purpose on a Sunday morning is not to sing three songs and then deliver you know a thoughtful sermon for you to go away and 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 get better at your life the purpose is to come together and to experience the manifest presence of Jesus and that Jesus actually makes changes. Jesus actually makes, uh, makes us better. His presence delivers us. His presence saves us. His presence, uh, like, and, and, and throughout church history, this has been the case. For, for, for thousands, for 2,000 years now, the church gets into ruts. We get into patterns where people end up just, just falling into sort of this, this, this track of religion where I go to church, I sing, I, I listen to a sermon. I go to church, I sing, I listen to a sermon. And you get into a track until God kind of messes things up. Right, and he sort of jacks things up, and we call those revivals <laughs> when God messes things up, when he destroys like uh, Christian uh, icons and, and patterns, and he messes that up, and he reminds us that it's all about his presence. Uh, that's what Duncan Campbell uh, had a, an old cassette tape of Duncan Campbell, and uh, it was a recording from the, the 40s, I think, 50s, of him sharing about the Hebrides revival, which is uh, a, a series of revivals that spread off of the Welsh revival in 1904, and Duncan Campbell was a big part of that. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, he said on the, the little cassette tape, he said, uh, he had this teeny little voice, He's, and he said, he said, many people are asking me, what is revival? He says, revival is not, and then he went on to express some things which Americans call revival. Like, um, you know, the Baptists will say, hey, we're having a revival on July 15th through uh, the 18th, right? They've scheduled it. And what they mean is they're going to have these special services whereby they'll have speakers who are a little more powerful than the regular speakers and it's like ready to kind of pump people up and so I remember one time I preached uh, I, I, I went to a bible college that was not baptist it was um 3CU Church of Christ and Christian Union so say that 10 times real fast and it was kind of like a branch off of the Church of Christ denomination I'd never been a part of this denomination in my life that's just the bible college I went to and so then uh within the denomination this youth this this, this small little church in Portsmouth Ohio um, asked me to be their youth pastor for a while so I said sure I was their youth pastor and um then they asked me to preach on my last Sunday there I was their youth pastor all through the semester and then they're like uh, Harry's gonna preach and I preach and everybody was just kind of staring at me the whole time 
time, kind of like some of you are. And they were kind of like, oh, and, 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 and so then afterward, though, people came up and they were like, wow, that was like being in revival. And I, and, and, and I know they didn't actually mean real revival. They meant the once a year camp meeting thing that they had in the denomination where they brought in speakers who got loud and were boisterous. And, and uh, I, think, I think I dressed up as, um, as like a Bible character is what I did. So I'm just always kind of trying to bring new ways to, to illustrate truth. So they were, but the, to them it was like weird because this was a regular Sunday. You're not supposed to have revival preaching on a regular Sunday. You're supposed to have boring preaching on a regular Sunday. And you're supposed to have exciting preaching once a year. Like that's the thing. You know, and it was, I was like, oh, I don't think, I don't think that's a good routine to get into because so quickly, man, you just fade off of the presence of God and not to talk bad about that church, but I remember that church, uh, the pastor's name was Silas Fight. And I was like, that is one killer name. This guy, it must be awesome. He was 87 years old. He was pastoring this little church and I'm like, I got to meet this guy. And so, and so I, I did a little interview with him. And man, Silas fight, like his fight left like decades ago. Like he hadn't had fight in decades. I went to one of the services and he, and he preached and I'm like, this sermon sounds really familiar. And turns out it's because it was, it was one of those like pre-printed sermons that you get online. You download the three points and stuff. I'm like, I've seen this before. Cause when I was learning how to preach, I downloaded all those. I never preached them, but I read them to see how to construct a sermon. You know, I'm like, I've read this before. It's like, this is where Silas was at. He was kind of at the place where he was just like trying to make it through, hold on to the bitter end till Jesus comes, but uh, till glory, you know. And that was kind of like you walked into the church. It smelled like a nursing home, right? You've ever been like a funeral kind of thing? It's like all these flowers and stuff, and you got the white Jesus, like like you know, with his blue eyes, the picture right there in the foyer. It was that kind of church, and so you can imagine like the mauve carpet and and the plexiglass pulpit, and you know the whole night. And then I get up there in, in my little costume and I kind of surprise them. But this is what God is constantly doing. He's constantly reminding us that revival is not an increase in evangelistic efforts. That's what Duncan Campbell said. He said, it is a blossoming of God. And I love that picture, the blossoming of God. That's what revival is. This is when Jesus shows up and begins to reveal himself. He doesn't hire better preachers or better musicians or better singers or write better songs. It's not an elevation concert where people come together and they all just love the music. And so they're raising their hands and that's great. Now revival is just when God, without the aid, Duncan Campbell says, without the aid of, 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 of religious efforts. In other words, without preaching, without singing, without anything, God begins to show up. And this happened in the Welsh Revival, right? Where God would just show up. Uh, one, one night, uh, Evan Roberts, who was the main preacher, he, he, uh, he w- walked down during the singing. And by the way, they didn't have any instruments in the Welsh Revival, except they had like one organ, that was it. And, and they, they, would, they would sing some hymns. And so it wasn't very exciting, you know? They sing a couple of hymns and, and Evan comes down and he kneels down at the front row of the pew and he just kneels there. And then they finish their hymns and they stop singing. And, Evan's supposed to come up and preach, right? And for three hours, the guy didn't get up. People are like, is he sleeping? Is he okay? Is he? But, but, and they didn't sing anything. He didn't get up. They didn't do anything. They just sat there for three hours. 
man, I, sometimes I feel like if we were quiet for like five minutes, people would be like, well, I guess, I guess that's it. I guess we're good. All right, get some more coffee. Time to, I got to need a potty break. Uh, they didn't even have, you know, it's, it's three hours, man. Why? Because God is just blossoming. He's revealing himself. And people are falling under the Holy Spirit and they're weeping and they're praying for each other and they're sitting there. And, it's, and, it's, and it's, that's the presence of God. When, when Jesus is in the house, man, the city comes to the door. You don't have to advertise it. You don't have to, you don't have to do any of that stuff because people who are changed tell other people who need to be changed and they show up at the door. And so the, 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 the city's gathered at the door. Remember, this is in the middle of the night and this is from, this is from Peter's, Simon Peter's perspective, remember? Mark is written by a guy named Mark, the Gospel of Mark, but it's narrated to Mark by Simon Peter, by the disciple. So I can just imagine, this is Pete's house, this is Simon Peter's house, and he hears a knock on the door, and he opens his door, and he's got a bunch of torches and candlesticks out there, and he looks out there, and the entire city is gathered together at his door. And he knows all these people. He grew up. The, the cities were not like the cities nowadays. They weren't huge. It was just a couple hundred people that would have lived in Capernaum. So he, it's a very small town. He knows all these people. He went to high school with those guys. Like that, that's his dentist right there. That's his mechanic. Like this is this his cousin, his cousin, his other cousin, his other cousin, his third cousin, his second cousin. You all know about that, right? Anybody live in San Marcos, you know all about being related to everybody in the entire town, right? It's just like you look out and he sees all these people that he knows and and he and, and and he realizes something he realized one that wow like they're not gonna fit my house but two he realizes that his expo his exposure of his need the fact that he brought his mother-in-law to jesus on the sabbath sent a shock wave throughout the city so that then everyone who was sick, because prior to this in Mark's gospel, you have no healing of sick people, right? You had a casting out of a demon, and then he gets to Peter's house and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And so the two things that Jesus has done in Mark chapter one are the two things that the people are looking for him to do again. Meaning that typically the way that faith is stirred up is when you understand that Jesus or God has done it before and then you recognize that if he did it before, he can do it again. Like that's, that, that's what faith, that's what builds faith. That you see he's able to do it before and so you believe that he can do it again. And, 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 and yet, you know, we talked about last week how, how Simon, he is at the synagogue looking like everything's good, but at home, his mother-in-law is sick with a fever, which in those days could be lethal. And so he's got this burden, he's, he's at church and he looks good, but at home he's got this issue. Right? And so many of us, like that's, that, that's kind of how we live. But when Peter exposed his issue to Jesus, when Peter opened up the door to allow Jesus to come in and see what was really going on inside of his life, what happened was Jesus was able to heal it and that was great. But even better, that empowered and emboldened everybody else. Because you see here that the city, it says that, the, that they brought all who were sick and all who were sick equals the entire city at the door. <laughs> Which means... Pete wasn't the only one at church that morning who was going home to people who were sick. He wasn't the only one who had a loved one who was sick. He wasn't the only one. And in fact, the guy at church who was demon possessed, he wasn't the only one in the town who was crazy, who was not in his right mind. There were other people. 
Now, they weren't expressing that. They weren't letting that out. They weren't sharing that with anyone. But whenever, like, this is the thing. Like, in order for the world to be healed, I think the church is going to have to be honest. We have to get honest. Not about stuff we are struggling with. That's, that's true. But about stuff that we have found healing for. What happens is we get saved, we get healed, and that's all in the past and we never talk about it anymore. And so people don't know that God can do it again because they never hear the story of how he did it in the first place. So shameless plug, this Wednesday night, we're having First Wednesday worship. And uh, First Wednesday worship is where we get together and we, we sing some songs, we worship, we pray, and then somebody speaks a word. So we're gonna have all of that, but along with that, we're also gonna have old-fashioned testimony time. And this is not for those of you who like to talk, for you to ramble on and share with us about how your dog got this and then that, that other person's dog also barked at so-and-so. Like, this is not about, like, the, the Reader's Digest version. That's what we want. You guys remember Reader's Digest back in the day was like this thick. So it's like, it's, it's like but it's a chance for us to share what God has done for us. So if you're here today and if God's done something for you, come ready on Wednesday night to share that because that's what inspires faith. When the church gets honest, the world realizes that there is healing available for them. And so what happens is the entire city is gathered at the door. The entire city is there because the entire city knows somebody either is sick or knows somebody who is sick. And then it says that Jesus healed many of them. And he cast out many demons. And, and I want to focus just the last few minutes on this statement right here. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, this is something that happened previously in Mark. Uh, when Jesus cast out the demon in the synagogue, the demon calls out and he says, I know who you are. You are Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. And um, that, that phrase, Holy One of God, by the way, is, is, is only used in the Old Testament. It's only used once. It's not used about the coming Messiah. It's not used about the Son of God. It's actually used about a guy named Aaron when Aaron was chosen to be the first high priest. So really what the demon is expressing is like some pretty deep stuff. He's like, you are the great high priest. You are the great high priest who's going to lay down his life for the sheep. You are the higher than every other priest. And he's recognizing the greatness and the elevation of Jesus. And he's not wrong. <laughs> Which to me is always like, well, why does Jesus tell the demon to be quiet? Because the demon says, I know who you are. You're Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus says, be quiet, come out of him. It's like, well, why? Like, why not just let the demon speak what is true? Typically, that doesn't happen. <laughs> you don't generally have demons speaking truth, and so maybe they're turning over a new leaf. Why not allow them to share, like, the reality, the truth, right? And so, anyway, I think, I, I really think there's two reasons here. And this is, I'm, I'm sharing this because, one, this is going to be helpful as we move along in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus frequently tells demons to be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. But, but, but Mark doesn't explain it again because he explains it right here. That he is telling them to be quiet, is not allowing them to speak because they knew him. Specifically because they were speaking truth about him. That's why. That's why he's telling them not to speak. So you say, well, why would Jesus be against that? Well, I think a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, the strategy 
of the demonic here. That, that Satan is aware that he cannot stop Jesus. And so if you can't beat him, then join him. <laughs> Although he's not actually joining him. But he realizes that, that a demon's endorsement is not exactly a good thing. Right? And so if, 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 if somebody was alive today and they're casting out demons and these demons on their way out are singing their praises, you might kind of like, hmm, I wonder who this guy is. I wonder what's, why do they like him so much? And in fact, later on in the Gospels, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they call Jesus out on this. He says, it's actually, you are in league with the demons. You're, you're on the same team. It's by the power of Beelzebub that he casts out demons is what they say. It's like, he's using demonic powers. Now, of course, it's, it, they're getting that from this friendly exchange with the demons. Demons are constantly saying, wow, you're the son of God. You are the holy one of God. They're, they're elevating Jesus. They're worshiping in many ways, praising Jesus. And Jesus knows that that's a, that's a strategy to disqualify him. Because if, if, if they can sing his praises, then it, it kind of looks, looks bad on him. And Jesus, of course, he deals with that strategy very well. He says to the religious leaders, he says, hey, uh, if I am in league with them, if I am on their team and I am casting them out, then you really don't have anything to worry about, do you? Because apparently the devil's shooting himself in the foot. <laughs> apparently the devil's trying to make himself lose. So I guess his kingdom has already fallen. Right? And so, in other words, Jesus says, look, you can listen to what the demons say or you can watch what the demons do. And you should probably watch what they do because the truth is, regardless of what they say, they are fleeing. Regardless of what they say, they are releasing their hold and they're, 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 they're relinquishing their control of people's hearts and of people's minds. And if Satan is now turning over a new leaf where he's trying to free everybody to follow God, we really don't have a problem, do we? We're doing pretty darn good. And so Jesus deals with that, but at the same time, like, so that's one, that's the strategy of the demonic. They're trying to disqualify Jesus. But second, they're trying to overload the faith of the people in Capernaum. And this is something that I think you will see throughout your experience if you've walked with Jesus for more than five minutes. If the devil cannot stop you from believing in God, if he cannot stop you from following after him, believing and following are two different things, by the way. So if he can't stop you from believing in God, that's one. But if he can't stop you from responding in obedience to that, man, well, he doesn't have any, anything else. He literally doesn't have any other way to stop you. He'll try to discourage you. He'll try to tempt you. But if you have your eyes on Jesus and you are following after him, what I have found, the, one of the main ways that he, that he, that his kind of last ditch effort is he will try to, if he can't stop you from believing truth, he'll try to overload you with truth. Meaning he'll try to share things with you that are true, but you're not ready to hear yet. Because God is strategic and God is patient and God is a good shepherd and God is a master gardener and God is all of these things in scripture and all of the ways in which God is described as a, as, as, as a loving father, all of the ways that he's described, these are all like people who are in charge of processes. And this is who God is. God is the God who is in charge of incredibly intricate and complex processes. Even when he created the world, right? He created a ball of dirt and he spoke to the dirt and he, and he said, let, uh, he told the dirt to produce grass. 
This dirt had never made grass before. I don't know how long it took for the dirt to figure out how to make grass, but, but, or much less to grow it. Uh, did it happen miracle grow style, like within 30 seconds? Maybe. Did it take multiple years? I don't know. But he spoke to the dirt and said, bring forth grass. And the dirt looked back and said, how do I do that? And so then he told, him, told the dirt how to do that and to produce vegetation, to produce trees. And then he told the trees to, how to produce fruit. And he, and he, and, but he's, he's overseen, even when he created the world, he didn't just say, let there be that, let there be that, let there, let there be that. He started these processes. And within the process, you begin to see the fruition of that. And, and this, the same is true, like when, when he came to earth, he didn't come to earth as a fully grown man. He came to earth as a baby and started this, this painful process of growing teeth in order to lose teeth, <laughs> of, 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 of pooping your diaper, of learning how to walk and pot, being potty trained. Uh, this painful problem. He could have just come down as a full-grown man, not had to go through adolescence or puberty or none of that nonsense. But instead, he goes through the process because he is a God of process. He believes in process. And yet Satan, if he sees that a process is working, he'll try to overload that process with more truth than people are ready for. And this, by the way, this, is, this happened one time in the Old Testament where God did this. Where God told Moses, Moses, I need you to go down to Egypt and I, I need you to stand before Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go, right? And so Moses is like, ah, uh, this isn't going to work. And God says, yeah, I know. And Moses is like, um, so you know we're going to fail. Like you're setting, you literally setting, setting me up to fail. This is great. And God says, no, 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 you're going to tell him, let my people go. And Pharaoh is not going to be ready for that kind of command, that kind of, and he's not going to respond well to that. He's the most powerful man in the known world, right? He himself believes that he is a God. And so he's going to see, no, uh, I don't know who your God is. I don't know where he came from. God of heaven sounds like he made him up. I'm not going to obey your like fake God. You've been out in the wilderness literally for 40 years. It's gone to your head, right? Like, like, you, like no, we're not, we're not going to play that game. And, and then God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And that's one of the, the, the passages in the Old Testament where scholars and theologians argue, like, well, that's not fair. If God's hardening his heart, then how can he judge him? Well, God is not saying that he's going to go into his heart and his emotions and make it hard. Rather, God is simply saying, look, I'm going to expose Pharaoh to more revelation than he's ready for. So that you can see, you can see what happens when, when, when I haven't laid a groundwork. Because God hadn't laid a groundwork with Pharaoh. He, this was a new Pharaoh who didn't know about Joseph, who didn't know about the dreams and the God of heaven, who didn't know about the way in which the God of heaven saved Egypt from seven years of famine, right? He, he wasn't aware of the God who, who can interpret dreams, who knows the future. He wasn't aware of that God. He never heard about that God. And now he's being confronted with this God who he's never heard about, and he's being asked to let go his greatest labor workforce and just let him go. And Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not interested in that. I am a God, in case you didn't know. I'm in charge here. This is my domain. Egypt is mine, and these slaves are mine. They've been mine for 400 years. We're not going to change now. And so God wanted to do that, though, to show his power. Well, in the same way, Satan's taking notes on that. And he says, oh, okay, so if I can expose people to more truth than they're ready for, 
then their hearts will grow hard. And that's exactly what, actually, that's what happens to the people in Capernaum. Remember, Jesus later on says, woe to you, Capernaum, if the things that are done in you would have been done in Sodom, they would have remained to this day. In other words, uh, their hearts were hardened. Why? Because in Jesus' early teaching, he never said, look, I am the Son of God. He never hit him with that revelation. You read Matthew chapter 5, he's talking about like the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the values of the kingdom. Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now that's pretty shocking because in my experience, meek people don't take over. <laughs> it's the aggressive, it's the, it's the slick people, it's the, the cheaters, it's the, it's the people that are ready to step on others to get ahead. And so this is a big enough step in itself to believe that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. To believe that, Jesus said, you know, when, whenever you give your alms to the poor, don't announce it to other people. Do it secretly. Whenever you fast, do it secretly. This was a new, this was, this was shocking to them. This was a big step in order for them to believe that. And Satan is now adding on this revelation. Oh, hey, by the way, you also have to believe that he is God incarnate. <laughs> and Jesus says, wait a minute, they're not ready for that. I'm not asking them to believe that yet. See, this is the, this is the way God works. So, what, so what, what, what I want to do is look at the way Satan works and then sort of show you the way God works. Satan will overload you. You'll start following him and then all of a sudden, he'll start overloading you with all kinds of stuff, right? So you've been walking with God for maybe six months. And I'm, I'm not saying you've been in the church for six months. You've probably been in church for 30 years if you're in Texas. So you've been in church for like multiple decades, but you just six months ago decided to make it real. And so you start walking with God and and Satan will immediately bring somebody else who's actually been walking with God for like 16 years and will say, hey, you don't have the prayer life of that guy. Hey, you're thinking thoughts that that guy's not thinking. You're, 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 you're addicted to stuff that guy's not addicted to. You're dealing with, with, you're wrestling with things that that guy's not wrestling with, right? What's he doing? He's overloading revelation. If God hasn't laid it on your heart, if he hasn't led you into it, then the enemies, uh, he, he'll start expounding upon things that, you, that, you, that God's not even asking of you right now. So this is how God works. God always lays a foundation for stuff. He always prepares things. Even when he sent Jesus, right? The, he made the runway of John the Baptist. He didn't just send Jesus because the world wasn't ready for Jesus. So he makes a runway of John the Baptist and John's out there in the wilderness baptizing people. He's preparing the way. This is how God works then, this is how he works now. So this is how God will work. I don't know if any of you guys do gardening, but if you try to plant any vegetables, anybody try to plant vegetables here in Texas, um, you do not go into your backyard and just plant vegetables. Because we live in central Texas, the ground is awful. Especially during the summer, there's no nutrients in the ground, it's just, it's just dust, you know. Or if you're on our side of 35, the other side, it's just, gumbo, I don't know, mud or whatever that stuff is, I, clay of sorts, like you, that is, it's, it's crazy trying to plant inside of that stuff. And so what you usually do is you make a raised bed because the soil there is just awful, at least here in central Texas, most people do a raised bed garden. So it's like you use two by sixes, you need like six inches, you nail them together, you make kind of a square or a rectangle, and then you pour new soil, good soil, on top of your crappy Texas soil. Right? And so you got to get six inches, roughly, worth of good soil that has nutrients in it where things can actually grow. 
And so what happens, and I, I feel like this is what God does. God takes us exactly where we're at, and we kind of have crappy Texas soil hearts, pretty hard, pretty lacking of nutrients and knowledge and wisdom and any kind of useful stuff. He takes us, and he says, okay, now let me pour into that. And he begins pouring fresh dirt into our lives. And that, that fresh, that soil is like, that's like knowledge. So, so faith is important, but faith needs something to be planted in. And so I think it was A.W. Tozer who said that knowledge is the seedbed of faith. Knowledge is the plant bed. It's the, it's the six inches of good soil. So God will spend six months, a year, year and a half, two years, just pouring knowledge into you. And you're coming to church and you're listening and you're receiving and you're taking notes and you're writing stuff down and you're going home and you're reading the Bible and you're, 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 you're assimilating the kind of knowledge necessary to receive the, the, the seed of the Word of God so that when you get the Word of God, it doesn't just go away. It doesn't just get, get taken by birds and, and it, cause, cause, it, cause otherwise if you go to a church where it's just all about just an experience and you never actually learn anything, you never build any depth in your life, then what happens is that that seed from Sunday is gone by Tuesday. It's taken and it, and it felt great and it sounded great, but now you're not really sure what's going on. And so what you need, you need a longevity process by which you allow God to pour into you. That's why we have Wednesday night uh, Bible studies. That's why we have small groups coming up because you need some good dirt, <laughs> if that makes sense. The dirt that's in your heart is not working. And it's not receptive to the word of God. And so you need some good dirt, some good knowledge by which to assimilate the, the seed of God, of faith. And so, so you just allow him to pour. And what happens is Satan will come in when it's just like an inch or so. And he'll start dumping more seeds in there. And be like, oh, see, that's not growing. See, you're not living up to that. See, you're not able to do that. See, you're not. So I guess none of this stuff is worth it. So let's stop pouring. <laughs> He's trying to stop the process. And God says, no, no, no. Jesus says, no, no, like you need to be quiet so that I can continue this process. I'm taking people on a journey to start believing truth about the kingdom so that they can eventually receive the truth about me, so that they can eventually stand before others and share the truth about me, right? So I can send them into all the world. There's a process here. And the enemy will try to short circuit that process. So I guess I just want to encourage you, don't let the enemy short circuit your process. Don't let the enemy overload you with more revelation than God has given you. Don't let the enemy overload you with more conviction than God is putting on you. Sometimes people, they're addicted to shame and they call that conviction. Really, they're just feeling bad about themselves all the time. They did that when they were in the world and they're doing that now that they're in the church. It's the same thing. But, it's, but that is not of God. When God is doing a work in you, he always leaves you with encouragement. He always leaves you with hope for the future. He always leaves you with a, with, 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 with a next step. It's never like, oh, this is so big, I can never do it. Then that's not God. If it's so big, you don't know what the next step is? That's not from God. You've taken, you've taken some revelation. You've been listening to some demons telling you truth. And it's not that what they're saying is wrong. It's when they're saying it that is wrong. It's the timing that's off. It's not the truth. Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is all of that in a bag of chips. He's the Son of God. The demons are right about that. But, but, but it's the timing that's off. And so this is where you have to be careful to, to focus and train your mind to hear from God himself and not from your own feelings, not from the way that you typically would do things, but simply from God. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of evaluating. 
And this is where small groups are so helpful because within the group, you can be like, I've kind of been feeling this this week. And somebody else will say, yeah, the devil tried that trick on me back 15 years ago. And that's not his will. That's not God's will for you. You don't need to be worried about that. You don't need to be working on that. God will convict you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. God will strengthen you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And it's a journey. And so anytime, any time that Jesus comes to us, anytime that Jesus comes to us, he comes to us and he invites us on a journey. He never asks us to take this giant leap. It's always a step-by-step journey. And so, yeah, that's where I want to end it with you today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Let's pray before the Lord for just a minute. Father, I come before you. And I know I'm talking to a group of people and folks online who are all different places in their journey And Lord, we don't want to be influenced by talking demons, by the things, the voices inside of our head. We want to be influenced by the master gardener who is Jesus and his Holy Spirit speaking to us. And so let's just invite the Holy Spirit right now to speak into our minds and into our hearts. If you're open to that, maybe just as an act of that, would you just just hold your arms open, hold your arms out to receive from him, for him to lead you, kind of like a kid reaching out to the parents. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Some of us need to just calm down. (laughs) God's not asking you to run a thousand miles right now. Speak calm, speak peace to the waves and the wind, the way, to things that have been stirred up by, by the enemy, by stuff that we're not ready for. And also, Lord, speak truth to us about the things that we are ready for. We know that some of that will be shocking. <laughs> but Lord, we, we're, we're open to that because what you believe we're ready for, that's what we want to hear. And that's what we want to speak out. That's what we want to walk out in obedience to. So we place ourselves in your hands and we do we rebuke the voice of every demonic spirit over this body over these people that the enemy would be silenced and that the Holy Spirit the truth the spirit of truth would be present would be heard would be the loudest voice in our ear in Jesus name we pray Amen